This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the UC San Diego Center for Healthy Aging's Roar Memorial Lecture, The Science of Laughter and Chocolate. I see a lot of excited people already. Wow. I think everybody in this audience likes to laugh and likes to eat chocolate, so we're all in some great company. Uh, For those of you I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Danielle Glorioso, and I'm the Executive Director of the Center for Healthy Aging. I'm just so delighted to see such a lovely turnout for this lecture. I have to tell you, when we first came up with the idea for chocolate and laughter, we knew it would draw a big crowd, but we really didn't expect a full house. So this is just so exciting. Um, For those of you who are new to our center, the Center for Healthy Aging focuses on advancing lifelong health and well-being through innovative research, training, and community outreach. Our center expands upon the work of the Stein Institute and serves as an umbrella organization for all aging-related work here at UC San Diego. And our focus extends beyond medical research to address major challenges facing our society as we prepare to accommodate for a rapidly expanding demographic of older adults in areas such as technology, housing, finance, transportation, and urban planning. The work that we do is supported entirely through donations, so I'd like to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who have supported us throughout the years. Uh, We would not be forging exciting new advances in aging without all of your support, so thank you so very much. If you have interest in supporting our work or learning more about the work that we do, you can find out more about us and watch watch past lectures at aging.ucsd.edu. Our lecture tonight is very special to us. It was dedicated to the Frank Benedict and Kathy Rowe family. Uh, This endowed lecture series was the inspiration of Suzanne Angelucci, their daughter, to honor her parents and is intended to support public education by funding lectures in the areas of humor and positive attitudes towards life and strong social support system. It was always her belief that a strong sense of humor could enhance longevity. And I think after you see this lecture tonight, I think we'll learn a little bit about that ourselves. So please join me in thanking Suzanne and her wonderful family for their generous support and for being the visionary behind this exciting lecture tonight. The presentation tonight will be a semblance of a cliff note presentation, uh, meaning that we have so much information we can only tell you so much. So we'll try and hit the highlights for you. Um, And uh, if we skip over something, feel free to grab us afterwards in either the Q&A or even after the Q&A. We brought our tents so that we will stay tonight and we can talk about it. So let's get started. I'm going to carry you on uh, several different journeys. Uh, Some will be philosophical, some are very real. The information that we're going to convey tonight is as new as uh, a paper we presented at the Federation meetings in San Diego here uh, several weeks ago. That's how new some of this information is. 
the first introduction of the chocolate information was presented in Chicago last October. So what you're seeing is the reality of new information of what laughter or humor does to the brain and what chocolate does to the brain. I have a slide up here uh, that uh, I want you to try and guess who said this and when it was said. Okay? Now that I am, you can read with me if you'd like. <laughs> now that I am 95 years old, looking back over the years, I have seen many changes take place. So many inventions have been made. Things now go faster. In the olden times, things were not so rushed. I think people were more content, more satisfied with life than they are today. You don't hear nearly as much laughter and shouting as you did in my day. And what was fun for us wouldn't be fun now. Who do you think, who do you think said that? Aristotle. <laughs> that's, that's close. What what uh, year do you think that quote was uh, made? Was it two years ago? Could it? Could have been. Grandma Moses. Remember her? Painting? How true it is today. And that's what she perceived back in 1955. Scary. That's why we need laughter. And chocolate. It's more important to know what sort of a person has a disease than to know what sort of disease a person has. Anybody heard of this fellow? He had something to do with medicine, didn't he? The art of medicine consists of amusing the patient while nature cures the disease. Think about it. Lifestyle. I got started because of a gentleman by the name of Norman Cousins. He wrote a book, Anatomy of an Illness. Norman Cousins was an individual who had a disease called angulosing spondylitis. He was ill because of the autoimmune disease issue. And Norman said, if stress made me sick, then maybe happiness or laughter could help me get well. And as the story goes, Norman wrote a book called Anatomy of an Illness from a patient's perspective. And he revolutionized medicine 
because he was the person responsible for opening the door for mind-body medicine. It wasn't a clinician. It wasn't us. It was Norman Cousins. He initially helped fund our research in the early 1980s. That's how we got started looking at laughter. So we're going to take a journey here. Yes, we're serious about happiness and laughter, an oxymoron. I'm serious about happiness. I'm serious about the science of happiness and what it means and what it does. Be the reason someone smiles today. A little later, I'm going to talk to you about mere neurons. Be so happy that when others look at you, they become happy too. It will benefit you. I had the privilege to teach my oldest grandson his first joke. (laughs) And the joke goes as follows. Why did the lady at the M&M factory lose her job? Because she kept on throwing out the W's and W's. Some of you will get in a minute. It takes a while. But he got it. He understood the incongruity and the humor. Oh, by the way, babies three to four months of age, can they talk? But they can laugh. Think about it. For every minute you are angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. Everyone loves a good laugh. And research is finding that a good giggle does more than just bring a smile to your face. Remarkable things are happening inside your body as well. We now have the evidence that we literally not only decrease the detrimental stress hormones, but we increase a good neuropeptides called endorphins. In short, that's a good thing. Reducing stress and improving heart health. Dr. Lee Burke examines the body's response to laughter. His findings should be taken to heart. Frequent laughter has been found to improve circulation, lower blood pressure, even help prevent cardiovascular disease. And while a good chuckle will never come in a bottle, Burke believes a prescription of daily silliness is just what the doctor ordered. Three to four or five times a day is not unreasonable. It certainly is less taxing than exercise. What do we know about laughter, mirthful laughter? What are the benefits? There's a fair amount of literature. Uh, There was a poster out in front, if any of you saw, uh, the 32 reasons to laugh. 
And then, then there was a second poster, the second 32 Reasons to Laugh. Uh, I used that poster when I was invited to speak at National Institutes of Health because I was, I was fearful I would be eaten alive uh, by the uh, brilliant scientists at National Institutes of Health. So I created this poster uh, from all references from PubMed because I knew the building that I was going to be speaking at was right next door to National Library of Medicine. So when I started speaking, I asked the audience, the brilliant scientists at National Institutes of Health, how many are familiar with the literature on laughter, the benefits of laughter? How many hands do you think went up? Less. So I pulled out this poster, and I said, do you realize right next door here are 32 reasons that are PubMed referenced, peer-reviewed literature that are reasons to laugh and the benefits. From there on, they listened. So what's wrong with my brain when I laugh? I have discovered uh, what's wrong with my brain. On the left side, there is nothing right. And on the right side, there is nothing left. <laughs> Which made us ask the question, what's going on in the brain? What's happening in the brain when we laugh? I went to the literature, there was nothing there. So we decided to do a study. I don't expect you to read this. It's one of the handouts that were up front. This is a paper we presented in 2014 here in San Diego at the Federation meetings, showing for the first time that the brain frequencies could be modulated or changed as a result of laughter. So laughter improves memory and it reduces stress, hormones, particularly cortisol. Anybody heard of cortisol, steroid? What does cortisol do to memory? Cortisol is a hormone that is neurotoxic to the hippocampus, to the area in the brain that's associated with memory. That's why we don't need stress. Uh, my graduate student published two papers on, on attaining his doctorate. One was the effect of humor and short-term memory in older adults, and the other is humor effect in uh, diabetics. The evidence is there that humor actually enhances memory and recall. After presenting the data at the meetings, in San Diego, the word got out real fast to the media, and Ellen DeGeneres is going to explain it to you. Just sit back and, and enjoy yourselves, and I hope you laugh, and I hope some of you guffaw, and <laughs> few of you may snort, you know who you are. I'll tell you why that's important. A new study came out, and it said that laughing makes your brain work better. So here's how it works. Laughing increases endorphins, which travel through your bloodstream. 
okay? And then they go through your ventricles and they go up through the cerebral cortex. Then they travel back down into your lady antebellum and <laughs> before heading back up towards your chalupa. <laughs> then down into your cold play. <laughs> Apparently laughing for 20 minutes can help, so I thought, well, we should give it a try. So we are gonna now laugh <laughs> for 20 minutes. Ready, go. We, that's no, that's too long. That's we're gonna spread it out for the whole hour because that's because that was another 19 minutes we had to go. So whew, I'm gonna hyperventilate. The point is, the point is, she had a good workout, didn't she? <laughs> Thank you for for the. If you can't physically exercise, do you see what laughter can do cardiovascular wise? So we wanted to look at brain waves. What is going on in the head? Just a brief review. We have several kinds of brain waves. Here's delta. When you're sleeping, you do a good job with delta. Here's theta. Here's alpha, when you're resting, relaxing. Beta, that's what we're doing right now. And then there's the wonderful gamma. Gamma frequency is wonderful. We see gamma frequency when we laugh, and we see gamma frequency when we eat the right kind of dark chocolate. <laughs> For real. Delta and theta are unconscious frequencies. The conscious frequencies are alpha, beta, and gamma. Gamma is the new kid on the block. Gamma frequency is a frequency that's associated with synchronization. Okay, the brain is talking to itself. In neuroscience, we use the term binding. Binding, there's communication. So where we lose it, or are starting to lose it with aging, gamma frequency helps out with binding. Gamma frequency also is the frequency that gives us the highest level for cognitive processing. Students love it. Gamma frequency is the frequency that gives us the best recall and memory because of the synchronization, the communication. From laughter, positive affect, and dark chocolate. So we did a study. This is the EEG headpiece that we used. We'd use the nine leads on the cerebral cortex area of the brain. And we had subjects watch a stressful movie and a laughter, humorous movie. We've all heard the phrase, laughter is the best medicine, but today there are researchers working to prove it. Is it going to hurt? No, it doesn't hurt at all. You're just grabbing a signal from your, your brain, but you not feel anything. Dr. Lee Burke studies the mind-body connection. He looks at how the brain, hormones, and immune system communicate with each other, and he's viewing it all through the lens of laughter. 
I'm serious about laughter in the sense that I want to show the validity of why it is beneficial for, uh, for your health, for staying well, and maybe even helping you in recovery of disease. We know there's certain physiological responses, biological responses that take place uh, as a result of laughter, such as uh, lowering the blood pressure, uh, lowering the heart rate, increasing the immune system's uh, capability. You can lower your blood glucose levels, and this is of value to diabetics. We all know that stress is bad for us. 70 to 85 percent of all visits to primary care uh, physicians are a result of stress-related disease. But Dr. Burke says that laughing is scientifically proven to make a big difference. We lower the, the detrimental stress hormone cortisol. Uh, we lower the uh, epinephrine or adrenaline, which causes the vasoconstriction or high blood pressure. Uh, we increase the uh, capacity of the immune system to be more functional and active. So we, we're helping ourselves to break that cycle of the stressors to one of, hey, get back to a homeostasis and help yourself stay well. Okay. You getting it? We're saying the same thing different ways. Okay? And it's true. It's true. What I want to show you is the result of some of the research that we just presented. Here is a depiction of the EEG. It's telemetric. In other words, the information is conveyed directly to the computer without wires attached to the computer. This is the front of the head. This is the back of the head. This is the left side. This is the right side. Three frontal leads, central and parietal. This is the front of the head. This is the left side of the head. This is the right side. This is the back of the head. Got it? F3, remember? Here's gamma frequency. This is stress. This is humor. Look at beta and gamma. Look at beta and gamma. Look at stress. Look at beta and gamma, the whole brain. Look at beta and gamma. Frontal, central, and parietal. Now I want to show you when we combine all frontal, all central, and all parietal, Here's what it looks like. Here's gamma frequency again. Here's gamma frequency for central, and here's gamma frequency. All the good stuff is happening with laughter. Do you see it with distress? By the way, the distress movie that was used was the first 20 minutes of the movie Saving Private Ryan, Spielberg's movie. And if you don't think that's distressing. The humor was self-selected. We had a list because humor for me is different than humor for you. I might like Laurel and Hardy or Ellen DeGeneres. You might like something else. So it's that which we like. It's that culture we grew up in. Here's another way to look at it. This is the comparison of stress and humor for gamma frequency. 
The greater the intensity of the frequency, the red, the means the, ga the gamma frequency is lighting up in the whole brain. Look at stress. Which one do you want? It's not even a question. So what's so special, again, about gamma frequency? Why should we seek after gamma frequency? Uh, because of the binding of neurons, as I suggested and said earlier. Memory recalls enhanced. Sensory uh, awareness is enhanced. That's why food tastes better when you're laughing. It's real. It's associated with com compassion? You mean the emotions are involved in this? You bet. Much research is needed to be done with empathy, altruism. It's the highest le level for cognitive processing. In other words, being functionally cognitive. What does that say? Associated with antidepressive state. You've got to be kidding. Same thing with dark chocolate. Okay, what else will increase gamma wave band activity? Anybody want to guess? Chocolate. chocolate. I hate to say it, but gamma frequency is going to the dogs. <laughs> Long-term meditation and mindfulness meditation is gamma frequency. We used to think it was alpha frequency. Uh, that was before we had technology that was digital. Uh, that's a whole nother two-hour lecture. We have come a long ways in the technology relative to looking at the brain. There are many ways to look at brain activity. Mare neurons, we all have them. And I'm going to prove it to you shortly. <laughs> you see what's happening? One baby looks at the other, smiles, the other smiles. The other shakes his head, the other one shakes his head. Those are mere neurons. We now know with humor that there's a specific area as a result of the mere neuron that lights up with functional magnetic resonance imaging. And that's an area called the nucleus accumbens. The nucleus accumbens is an area where we produce dopamine, pleasure, reward. This is work done at Stanford University. Is laughter contagious? Well, let's see. Okay, you just experienced mere neurons. <laughs> Stop trying to make everybody happy. 
All you need is chocolate. <laughs> Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. Once again, you've heard of this fellow. Every time you eat or drink, you're either feeding disease or fighting it. Got it? It's real. I would have preferred to have another hour to talk about that whole video. Uh, antioxidants. Take a look. Antioxidants. Low, high concentration. Here's chocolate. Oh, pretty high. Ryan will tell you a little bit in a few minutes the value of healthy chocolate. Not all chocolate is the same. Very significant study done, published in Nature Neuroscience, where they literally showed that an area of the hippocampus uh, that's used for memory is actually enhanced as a result of eating chocolate. Again, the consumption was 900 milligrams every day for three months. 900 milligrams is less than one little piece of the bar that you break off. One piece of the bar is, is four, three times as much as that. And yet with 900 milligrams, they saw significant differences relative to that specific area of the hippocampus. Another hour lecture. We actually, in deciding what chocolate to use, had the chocolate that we decided to use analyzed by uh, Medallion Labs, which is run by General Mills. It's an FDA-certified lab for nutritional assessment. And the chocolate that we used is right here from the Dominican Republic. And here's the concentration, 46,000 micromoles of antioxidant. Here is your brain on chocolate. <laughs> the heat maps for gamma frequency. This is thinking about chocolate. 
This is thinking about eating chocolate. This is looking at chocolate. This is smelling chocolate. This is putting a piece in your mouth, but not swallowing. This is eating chocolate. Gamma frequency. How much proof do you want? What are you doing up here? I thought you were downstairs boxing chocolates. Oh, they kicked me out of there fast. Why? I kept pinching them to see what kind they were. <laughs> this is the fourth department I've been in. Oh, I didn't do so well either. No. All right, girls. Now, this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her go! <laughs> 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 well, this is easier. Yeah, we can handle this, okay? of the story. How's everybody doing today? Good? Laughing? Hopefully eating soon, so we'll have some chocolate. I don't, don't break it in the bags yet. I know it's really tempting being in front of you, but um, that's, that's what I'm trying to do, create something tempting. Um, like I said, um, I am presented. Uh, my name is Ryan Burke, and I own Parliament Chocolate and an ice cream company called Olamnute Ice Cream. Um, what is Parliament Chocolate? We are called a bean-to-bar chocolate factory. What that means is we're actually taking that bean and going through the full chocolate-making process and turning it into a chocolate bar or couverture chocolate, which is the big block chocolate, which is nice to chew on from time to time, too. But... Um, so that bean-to-bar process, what that means is I'm actually taking chocolate from all around the world and trying to design it like a fine wine. So you can have, let's say, a Cabernet from France and a Cabernet from Northern California, and they taste completely different. So what I'm trying to do is take the terroirs and the genetics and based around that cacao and make fine chocolate out of it. So fine, amazing chocolate. What that means is I actually have to fly down to Central and, South, Central and South America, Southeast Asia, and meet with farmers on a regular basis. So once a quarter, I usually go somewhere around the world um, and actually source my own cacao. Um, what that means is I'm practicing what's called direct trade. What is direct trade? That is fundamentally literally meeting with the farmers on a direct relationship. What that means is I can meet with the farmers like I do with my ice cream shop in my hometown, 
with the farmers that produce our oranges, but actually down in South America, Southeast Asia, and all over these tropical environments. And that means I can create a relationship with these farmers, know how their methods are processing. So what, what that means, I can actually pay at a higher price for them and actually have a connection because I know that the beans are going to be the highest quality beans that I can possibly get based around genetics, if genetics are even there yet, um, based around terroir, uh, which is the land, the development of the land, how the earth is treating the plant that itself. So I can know every aspect of what is going on and the person behind it and the families that this person has. So it's extremely important for me to know what that farmer is doing and why they're doing it. Um, because it takes, for me to take that chocolate bar, it's just as much opportunity and clear, clarity as what the farmer is doing with the product itself. So every aspect of it is extremely, extremely important. So in this processing, I mean, it, it's 10 times, 10 times better. Um, so what is going on at Origin? I was talking about a little bit of terroir um, and how do we make sure that we get the best chocolate? So um, I didn't expect this many people, so everybody back there, I, I do apologize, but I did bring images from many of my places that I've been to. So right here you've got images from Southeast Asia um, production. Um, you've got Dominican Republic, Guatemala, um, Belize. So, um, and this is a little bit of the growing process. So from, starting from sort of the growth of the plant over to these are actual cacao pods. Uh, I'll pull this up. So these are actual cacao pods of what's called ancient criollo. So this is the type of chocolate that we look for the most. So there's different varieties of chocolate. And what I'm looking for to make the best chocolate, the best flavorful chocolate comes from ancient wild criollo. And what that means is um, it's more of an ancient varietal that is less astringent and less bitter. Because the less bitter it is, which bitterness is, is good sometimes and, and a little bit of it, but when it overpowers it and overpowers the flavors, the unique flavors in the cacao, then you, you really don't want it. So this variety right here is one of the best varieties. From the pod, because it is a, a tropical environment, um, it, harvest season usually varies all over the world. So it's nice because I can jump on a plane in December and you've got harvest season in December in one part of the world where in another part of the world, July, you've got harvest season in a different time. So harvesting um, usually happens. So uh, the cacao pods actually grow directly on the trunk of the tree. So they're one of the only varieties of fruit in the world that actually grows literally on the trunk of the tree. Um, rather than the branches, uh, which is abs absolutely unique and amazing to this variety of plant, which is called Theobroma cacao, scientific name. Um, and then from after harvest, um, all the pods are broken open. So in every single pod, there's anywhere from 40 to 60 beans, depending on the variety. And those beans have this extremely thick pulp right on the outside, which you can see right here. So that thick pulp it's, it's very, very sweet. Some cultures only eat the pulp. They don't even know that chocolate can be made from the beans themselves. So that thick pulp, it's, like I said, extremely sweet, has a very, very high fructose, or fructose content. So what happens to fructose when it's popped open and it just starts sitting? Anybody? Starts fermenting, exactly. Fermenting. So it's turning into alcohol. So yeast starts attacking it 
yeast starts attacking it. So at the farms, we've learned that what happens to that yeast, so fundamentally the same thing with wine. When yeast starts attacking those grapes and the sugar in the grapes, it starts turning to wine. So what we've learned is when yeast starts attacking the fruit pulp, it creates these unique flavors. So you have different yeast strains throughout all over the world, millions and millions and millions of different types of yeast strains. And those yeast create different flavors and profiles, which I want to actually put into my chocolate bar that you can actually taste. The unique characteristics of that chocolate coming from that terroir, the origin, and the yeast strains. So there's something called box fermentation, which we is probably 70% of the flavors and profiles that you'll be tasting today in your tasting is because of that fermentation process at, because of what's going on at the farm. So we have to teach the farmers how to properly do fermentations, which include cutting techniques, which you see here. So these are actual cacao beans um, where they're actually cut open and you can actually see the lightness in it where um, you can see different characteristics during that fermentation process. So we're teaching farmers the temperatures of the fermentation in which it needs to come up to and how long it needs to stay in those boxes depending on the ambient temp outside. So we're scientifically, it's extremely important to know what's going on during that fer fermentation process. After that fermentation process, they have to dry the beans and they have to dry them really, really quickly. And if they don't, then ambient mold and or uh, mold starts growing on them, um, which is usually okay with the larger corporate companies. But personally, for me, um, we're trying to look for the best quality, flavorful chocolate. So we're trying to dry it off as fast as possible without that mold or disrupting the flavors. So that drying process usually lasts um, anywhere from seven to 10 days. Of course, it's a tropical environment, so they have um, actual different types of ways where it isolates from all that rainfall because it rains all the, t all the time. All right. Um, how is chocolate made? All right, so now after the beans are dried, um, then they're put into huge sacks and then they're brought up to me. And this is a little video of sort of how the chocolate's actually made. Hello, my name is Ryan Burke. I'm executive chef and owner of Parliament Chocolate. In this video, we'll be showing a little bit about the process of us going through that bean to the actual chocolate bar. So enjoy the video. We have a direct relationships with the farmers. Um, I work with farmers in Belize, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and in this direct relationship, I can sort of spectate and monitor fermentation, growing process, so in turn, it creates a higher quality product for us and a much better quality chocolate bar for us. So this is the first process in chocolate making. Um, when you saw me in that room, we're actually sorting the beans. So after the beans come back up to us, we actually have to sort every single bag that comes through. 
through for debris, for broken beans, for things that are going to roast unevenly, which you just saw right there. That's the roasting process. So it actually takes us one, one employee eight hours a day to sort through one full bag of beans, which is about 120 pounds. So it's very, very, very labor intensive just in the sorting process. After it's sorted, we take it over to the roaster, and then this is what's called a drum roaster. This is also how they roast coffee beans. Um, and so we wrote it, roasted it at a very light, light, delicate heat. Um, what that means is we actually roast it so that those flavors, like I said, through that fermentation process, stay captured into the characteristic of the chocolate. So we roasted it at a much light, lighter heat where the larger companies, um, they just burn it throughout and just turn it into couverture chocolate. And then it goes, spreads out to your, your larger chocolate bar companies. With the side of hair, a twist of So this machine actually is called a cracker winnower. Um, on the outside of every single bean, there's a shell, and that shell needs to get pulled away from it. So it cracks the bean in parts, and then I'm sure all of you have heard of cocoa nibs, very high in antioxidants at the rawest form, cocoa nibs. So these are roasted cocoa nibs, and we have to separate those shells, which we use the shells for mulch in other places around different farms and that kind of stuff. So we have to separate those shells and pull away the exact nib itself or the chocolate itself. Um, actually, we, uh, one thing I, didn't, I wanted to add is we actually had to build this machine, too, because we are such a small chocolate company, there really isn't that much chocolate equipment out there for small chocolate makers like myself. So I literally got together with electrical and uh, mechanical engineers and designed this machine specifically to separating the shells out of these, uh, out of these beans. So during this process, it's called the melanging or refining process, and we're actually breaking down the particle size of the chocolate. So if we were to have the chocolate at the point where right after the nibs are broken down and we, we actually turn into almost like a peanut butter consistency, it has a really gritty texture and it's very bitter and almost acidic. So this, uh, this part that has big granite wheels and then a granite base and it runs in this machine. If you've ever been to Giardelli's up in San Francisco, you would see in a Melanger um, and it runs with these big granite wheels and softens it and breaks apart the particle size. So we're trying to break the particle down to, um, down to about 20 microns. One micron is one one thousandth of a millimeter. So we're trying to break it down to where you can't feel any texture in your palate. And during this process, there's so much friction that the heat is brought up to about 140 Fahrenheit. And that being brought up to 140 Fahrenheit is also smoothing out the chocolate and burning off volatile acids that can make it very, very um, acidic. So all of these parts are extremely important. So ambient temperature, time of being in there, um, specific origin, all of these play into a different role.
So after we pull the chocolate out of those big refiners, um, there we ha actually have to let them set for about two days. After they set, they go into those big blocks like you just saw, and you saw they almost looked moldy. Well, that's not actually mold. They're actually the crystals are not bound. So there's something called which. They're, it's not the same beta crystals, but they're called beta crystals. So there's one through six beta crystals in chocolate. And that fifth beta crystal is what we're trying to look for um, and reconnect it. So we're trying to connect it and do what's called tempering chocolate. So this is going where, from where I'm a chocolate maker to a, a chocolatier. So a chocolatier is somebody that takes that block of chocolate and actually turns it into beautiful bonbons, which, um, which we, we, we also do too, but tur turns them into bonbons, truffles, that kind of stuff. So that's what a chocolatier is. What I do is actually a, cho a chocolate maker. So I'm actually making chocolate. Um, so like I said, what we're doing is actually tempering the chocolate, and that's what this machine up here does. It's actually tempering chocolate. So we're melting it down and about to about 115, 120 Fahrenheit, and then cooling it down rapidly. And when we cool it down rapidly to a certain temperature, we're isolating those crystals, literally like a puzzle. And as soon as those crystals are isolated, then you've got that perfect shine. So you've seen those shiny uh, chocolate bars, and then you've got a nice snap to it too. So you snap it, and it's got the beautiful sound. So that's, that's what, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where we mold the chocolate as well. So we actually hand wrap every single bar. We don't um, have wrapping machines. Um, so we actually hand wrap about 100 to 150 bars every single day. So this is a very hands-on process for us. Um, I, I know there's new machines coming out to where we can actually pull away from all of that, but you know what, there's something about, like I said, the hands that, that touch your product and really connect with the product that I think is so beautiful about making chocolate. So um, to move on to next, um, labeling. So you saw that label at the end of our chocolate bar. Um, we use an owl for every single chocolate bar. Um, parliament actually means a group of owls. So um, we designed the name Parliament Owl. So every single origin, whether it's Guatemala, Dominican Republic, um, we have a different type of owl designed for us from a local artist. And that artist designs the owl specific to that origin or the unique things that that person wears in that country. So um, we have these sort of unique characteristics to each chocolate bar. Um, so labeling. Labeling um, is very expensive for me as a small batch chocolate maker and is very expensive for my, the producers that produce our chocolate that are only producing on, a, um, I would say, an acre to an acre and a half of land. Don't get me wrong. I think labeling is extremely important for large corporate companies and creating um, personability for what's going on down at the farms. But for me, I wanted to do something different than labeling. Instead of filling the back of my bar up with all these labels, um, what I ended up doing was I asked the farmer themselves to talk about what they saw in life and what they could see and move forward with in life. So um, here what it says is cacao is a valuable tradition that comes from our Mayan ancestors um, and has been passed down from generation to generation. Ketchi families from the eco-region of Lachua in Guatemala um, dedicate themselves to the cultivation of cacao 
to produce the highest quality product to better the economy of our families and helping at the same time to preserve the environment for our future generations. Hector A. Ruiz Chubb. And so that is one of the producers that actually produces chocolate for our Guatemalan chocolate bar. Um, and I feel like this is truly reaching out and saying, this is what he's looking for in life. This is what him and his family and his ancestry is, are actually looking for in life. So um, that's why we sort of veered away from, from labeling and, and, and moved forward with this. All right, so what is the future of the food industry? Um, you know what? I don't know. I mean, that's the truth. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope people sort of follow what I'm trying to take and, and saying respect the product you eat. Know the product you eat. Know the person in the hands that actually produce your product. Know the people behind it because it's important. There are people behind that product. And um, I, know, I know my father had the whole laughter side of things, but I'm definitely the serious side of things. Uh, I mean, we have to know the product that we're working with and what we're eating to make the best and healthiest stuff you can eat. So this is where we go, are going around. Um, our chocolate is 70% cacao, and then the other percentage is 30% sugar. So, um, and like I said, I don't, I don't add soy lecithin or cocoa butter, um, and I don't like to dilute it. Um, but again, sugar is a whole other attribute. Where do you get your sugar from? Do you use bleached white cane sugar, um, or do you use an all-organic, actually respectable product sugar? We actually are analyzing antioxidants with sugar right now as well. So fundamentally, that can be a whole th another thing. And just as well as me wanting to know my cacao producer, I actually flew down and met to Brazil my sugar producer. So I know exactly. So I, I'm going to do a really quick ex explanation of why our sugar is so important. Um, they actually are one of the only um, producers using mechanical methods and not actually slash and burn methods. They're not actually burning the whole entire production of their cane and then harvesting it, which most of the world does that for harvesting cane. Um, they actually have a mechanical system that mechanically harvests and not only that is they're designing it so that their ethanol that they can produce from their sugar is actually powering their machines. So know your producer. Know what product you're working with. The sugar that is used in the bar is, he uses uh, organic cane sugar. We actually had the sugar analyzed by Medallion Labs. It contains antioxidants because it is organic and it contains other nutrients. Your white table sugar does not. So the sugar in their typical candy bar is does not have those benefits. So you are getting additional nutrients and antioxidants with organic cane sugar. Okay. Um, Thank you. And we'll be up here if you want to ask any more questions. So. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.